0: Hey, first week of a new series. I'm very excited about this new series, Spiritual Conversations with People Who Believe Differently. Now, to be perfectly clear, this is not a message about other faiths, how to, how to have a spiritual conversation with a Muslim or a Hindi, although that's not excluded. It's not necessarily the point of the message. The point of the message is having conversations with people who don't believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's kind of where we're driving at that. So if you got confused... You're not confused anymore. Um, I want to tell you about a movie I saw, and I would show it as a, when I was a youth pastor, I would show it regularly to my youth group. It was called Joshua. Now, if you look up this film, um, there was a film, I think it was done in 2002. This is the one I'm talking about, I think. Uh, there's one that came out in 2007. That's not the film I'm talking about, right? I looked it up. Don't, don't go there. It looks like a horrible, horrible, scary film. Uh, the, book, the, the movie I'm talking about, it, it was based on a book and and it's a guy named joshua it's a small southern town and he's 30 something and just just a normal guy and he 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 walks into this town and he just he's got no agenda really except to notice and help people right you just kind of get that idea he 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 notices an old man trying to rebuild an old black southern church and he says hey can, can i can i help the guy's like, sure, grab a hammer, right? I'm out here all by myself. So starts conversing. and he gets to know the guy. He, another scene, he, he meets a young boy, and, it, and it's been a long time, so if I'm wrong on this, in my memory, a young boy is, 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 it, it loves music, and dad's not into that, right? So, so Joshua just kind of gets to know the son, decides to get to know the dad, and just, just makes beautiful things out of people's lives. And, and he's, he's, he's not walking around with a lot of money. He's not writing checks to anybody. He's not performing miracles. He's not doing, he's just noticing people, having conversations with them and, and slowly changes their lives. And again, nothing necessarily miraculous, but in a way it was miraculous. Just, just the power of love and acceptance and, and hearing and noticing Right, he, he he turns this town upside down, and of course, one the protagonist, the you know a, a church figure, of course, <laughs> stupid pastors. Um, he he he's like he he thinks Joshua's got motives, like he's going to run for office or he's going to do something weird, and then he just he just sees darkness where Joshua just you know, creates light. Basically, the film is about. I, I, the way I would explain it to the teens is how would Jesus spend his days in the 20th, 21st century, right? What, 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 would, he, what would he, right? There's no Pharisees around, so he's not going to go get into an argument with them. There's no temple necessarily. We have a church, but it's not really the temple. Um, what, what would he do? And, and kind of in this film, you get the idea that that's, that's, that's what Jesus would do, Right? And again, we're going to share some scripture this morning. We read from Matthew chapter nine. Uh, Jesus had compassion on people. He, he noticed, and he noticed their hurts. He noticed their pain. Right? He didn't have what we would call tunnel vision. Right? You know what tunnel vision is? Right? You just notice certain things, um, and, and that's all you notice. Um, but again, I, I think this is how Jesus would have spent his. His days, right? Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So the question this morning, and and I don't want to guilt you, so let's just kind of jump over that. That's not what I'm driving at. Um, Why don't we act more like Jesus or even or even Joshua, right? Why? And I would suggest this morning, there's at least. I'm sure if you're sitting there, you can think of many, many more. Two reasons, and I want to kind of hit on them. The first reason is going to be really the point of our whole message series. And that is, I think people are simply afraid to share their faith. They're, they're nervous. They, they think they're going to blow it. They don't know what to say. They, they don't want to start that. Con- I mean, there's a the, the number of reasons. And I, the, the impression I get, I could be wrong. I, I don't want to put something on you that's not there. I, I get the impression it's just fear, scared to death i don't say anything i don't lose anything but if i say something i might have to financially i might have to give up some of my time i might have to listen to a really long 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 boring story i mean you know the list goes on and on and we got this this just this fear right now it's a fear of sharing the good news of the kingdom of god now i i say that on purpose i didn't say it's it's a fear of evangelism or fear of sharing your faith in my opinion, that word and that phrase, evangelism and sharing your faith, are somewhat misleading. They're very narrow, very, very, very narrow, kind of a thin slice of what it really means to share the good news of the kingdom of God. Right? We break it, we, with those words, we almost break it down to the conversation that saves somebody. And, and, and a deal's got to be closed, and it's high pressure, and like, you know, you got to... Spend the whole night not getting any sleep. You gotta, gotta hit your knee I mean, and you, you build it up into this huge, huge, huge fail or win situation. Right? It's gonna it's gonna succeed or it's gonna fail. And that's the whole entire mindset as you're thinking about this person that you're gonna share your faith with. Because you're not just sharing your faith, you want them to share your faith, right? That's your goal. And if they at the end of the conversation today the they're not sharing your faith, you walk away and you think, well, I'm not going to do that again. That was a waste of time. That, they think I'm a nut now. And, you know, it, it and you just kind of tail spin into, I'm never going to share my evangelism. Maybe that's for the gifted people, not for me. And so we get this, this I think, incomplete picture of something the Christians are supposed to be engaged in that we guilt, we're, we're guilted into to the point, I believe, truly, as I talk to people, there is a huge amount of self loathing. When we talk about evangelism I and mean, every person in the building begins to squirm, ah, when's the last first time I brought somebody to church? When's the last time I talked about God with somebody that I don't know that's not my, in, lives in my house or family or something like that? And I suspect that that's not a part of God's plan. Right? This fear, this right, self-loathing that we have when we think about sharing our faith. So in this series, what we're going to do, we're going to break the whole thing down into a series of very, very simple, very, very natural, very biblical steps, right? We're calling it spiritual conversations, and, and there are conversations. They, it all starts with conversations, but it's really a kind of a series of biblical, spiritual acts of kindness, right, and, and not just going out and doing something nice for somebody, but they're the very, very, very specific acts that really could be included with the idea of sharing the good news about the kingdom of god it all starts with the simple act of noticing and again the problem many of us have we have tunnel vision and i think there's a, a couple reasons I, I, I see this tunnel vision in my own life you maybe can see some others is, is it's my day right it's my day it's my goals my task and and i don't want to be interrupted by somebody with a need because I've got a need, I've got to finish a task, I've got an agenda, right, so here, this person's need versus my need, he loses, she loses, I, I, it, I don't know if you're that way too, you, you set about your day and, and, and please nobody, nobody call me, please nobody bother me because I've got some things I've got to get done, please don't interrupt me. With a need, because I got my needs, and I got to address them. And, and we, we just get this crazy, crazy tunnel vision going on in our lives where we notice nobody. And if we notice them, you're, if you're like, you're like me, you notice them only if and when they can help you with your need. Right? Then you notice them, oh, can you help me? Can you, hey, you know. I think the second thing it's just our culture. I went back east for an event when I was NYI involved, and uh, it was in Indiana, southern Indiana. And I noticed, like many of you, maybe you're from the, they don't have fences. Kind of freaky, right? You're looking straight into your back neighbor, your side neighbor, your catty corner neighbor. Everybody's looking at each other. There's no fences, there's no privacy. I, you know, and I was talking with a buddy of mine, and I I thought that'd be kind of cool. He said, no, 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 Jerry, you won't like it, right? He listed a whole bunch of other things, right? Life is a snail's pace. He's like, Jerry, you you won't like it. You're from California. don't even think about going back and living in Indiana. But the whole privacy thing kind of freaked me out a little bit. And I've spent a lot of times living in apartments, and I was never thrilled with that because you got the noise up there, 3 in the morning. You got the noise over here. You got the lady over here smoking that sucks into your window, and you just... You're you're surrounded by humanity in an apartment. And, and, and again, I, I'm sitting up here saying I don't like apartment living. I don't like fenceless properties. And at the same time, I know that that's part of the problem. Right. We have in our culture, we can drive up to our house and not even eyeball anybody. This is suburbia. Right. This is suburbia. Hit the garage door opener, roll in, hit it again, and you do not have to notice anybody ever unless you go shopping. And even now, they come out to your car and you chat with the guy as he throws your stuff in the back, right? Our, our opportunities to notice people... It's getting narrower and narrower and narrower. I mean, it just is. We, you, if you're thinking, well, I'll just naturally, uh, God, just show me. You know what? I, I think it's going to require a lot more because our culture requires that we do a lot more. We need to actually go out of our way to notice people because we have set up ourselves in this culture where we don't notice each other. Right? Very, nobody, nobody, nobody's around us. So maybe suburbia is part of the problem, something to think about. Thankfully for those living at the edges of society, the margins of society, the outcasts that folks had simply learned not to see. And again, I say that very, very clearly. They learned not to see certain people, right? We learn things by habit, by habitually doing something over and over and over again. And by habitually not noticing certain people, we are teaching ourselves not to notice people. Okay? it's not a, it's not just a happenstance. It's not just circumstances or anything like that. It's we've, we're literally training ourselves with this tunnel vision kind of thing to not, to not see people. Again, thankfully for the outcasts, that most people simply learn not to see with their tunnel vision. Jesus shows us in the story of Zacchaeus what can happen when we remove our blinders. So I'm going to read from chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Start chapter 19, verse 1, the book of Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, you notice Luke sets this up right away. He's on his way to Jerusalem, right, to celebrate Passover. He had somewhere to go, right? He had an agenda. He's literally just passing through Jericho. Now, understand something a little bit about Jericho. It's a winter capital for King Herod, big city. Lots of uh, balsam groves, I guess, that created a whole lot of business and a ton of tax revenue, right? It was a, a, a moneymaker for King Herod, the, the city of, of Jericho. Um, so, verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, and he was very wealthy, very wealthy, So in this busy city, we meet Zach, the tax collector. He was a man of means. He had purchased what's called a franchise from Rome, gave him the permission and the task and the duty to collect taxes that were owed to Rome. And anything that he collected above and beyond, that was his salary, right? So it was a system just rife with corruption, right? It was basically legalized extortion. If you wanted to make money... This was, this, was, this was the gig, right? Side hustle, right here, be a tax collector. Um, and again, as the chief tax collector, he was probably responsible for all the taxes in Jericho, big town. More than likely, he was training other people how to cheat and steal. Right, so that, that was his game. That, that's, who, that's who this man was. Very wealthy, but he was also a traitor. Right? He was a hated outcast which kind of explains what happens next, verse 3 and 4. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. He could see that was the route. So not only is he a tax collector, not only is he super wealthy, um, he's also short. I thought they were going to sing A Wee Little Man, A Wee Little Man Was He. <laughs> Bet you guys didn't know that Zacchaeus was Scottish, eh? or a hobbit, I, I don't know, whatever, whatever the case, right? Little Zach, he may get our sympathy when we tell the children's story, but he was a, he was a mean little bully with authority. I mean, that, that's who he was, a mean little bully with authority. And yet Jesus noticed Zach, because that's what Jesus does. And that's the first thing that we need to understand. We need to notice people, just notice people who might be open to change, who are open to a conversation, right? Right? Jesus saw Zach as a confused, lost guy, curious for a better life, right? He may have been the boss, right? And he might have been all that to his family and his little circle, but something was missing from his life. And again, we, we've talked about this before. As a Jew, he had gone to school. He had gone to the synagogue school with everybody in the neighborhood, right? He knew everybody. Everybody knew him. But his life had changed, right? He's no longer invited to any of the block parties. He's no longer invited to any of the festivities. He... He's not a part of the neighborhood, right? He lives here, but he's not one of us, right? We we don't like Zacchaeus. But he still pondered what his life legacy would be. All right, he was asking questions. That's why he was up in the tree. He'd heard about Jesus. He'd heard about things that Jesus was saying, and he was intrigued, right? Maybe Jesus can speak into my life, like I'm super wealthy, but nobody comes to any of my parties, right? So what am I going to spend all my money on? Nobody likes me. And so he's, he's, he's struggling with his own life, right? He's asking questions, and he's even going to climb a tree like a little kid to catch a look at Jesus. And you notice that Jesus doesn't blast Zach for his sin, right? Jesus knows what Zach knows, guilty. Everybody in the village knows it. It doesn't have to be discussed. Nobody has to say, you know the Bible says? Christians, we do that. Right, You know the Bible? Yes, I know. The Bible says. Instead, Jesus noticed a seeking man, and he offered Zach his time and his friendship. Verse 5, Jesus reached the spot, and he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And again, an incredibly profound verse, because in a sea of people who had overlooked Zacchaeus, who had learned to overlook, purposely overlook Zacchaeus. Jesus noticed him, looked up on purpose, made eye contact, called him by name. And he simply initiates a conversation. Simple as that. He notices somebody open a change and he initiates a conversation. And I know there are people in your life like that, right? Maybe even have the veneer of a Zac, really hard, kind of unapproachable. I've known a lot of people, a lot of teens in my years as a youth pastor and I, And I tell you this and it 's the weirdest thing, and I feel really bad about it every year as a school teacher, I would look at you know about one hundred and fifty kids a year, five periods about thirty five kids you know whatever and and i would and every period i would this one this one right up here this 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 one 's going to be a problem right this one over here 's going be this this is probably going to be a sweetheart over here he 's not And within about three weeks, everything goes out the window, right? The hardcores were like just lovely people. And the really nice-looking students, they were horror. They were horrible, right? And, And all these judgments that I made, just standing up in front of the classroom looking at them, the way they talked to the person next to them, I made all these snap judgments. Literally, I knew nothing about them. And I, I'm, I wish I could say I got better at it as the years went by, but it was just such a natural thing to do. You look and you make that snap judgment. They're mean. I, I'm going to go stand on the other line, right? And, and we do. He looks scary. I don't want to stand next to him. But Jesus puts his arm around his shoulder. Zach, I'm so glad to see you. Hey, if you got some time this afternoon, let's sit and chat about stuff Zach apparently has nothing to do he's out climbing trees so yeah yeah sure Zach's responsible he gladly comes down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly into his home Zacchaeus is thrilled right he can't believe it I'm hosting Jesus the guy that everybody's talking about a religious a rabbi and he wants to come to my house I'm going to host him. This has got to have blown Zacchaeus' mind. Then Jesus does the unthinkable and he marches off to a sinner's house, enters the house, and shares a meal. Hangs out with his new sinner friend. Because that's what Jesus does, right? He notices, he initiates conversations, then he just goes and hangs out with them. This is evangelism, this is sharing your faith. But it's not even yet. Jesus hasn't said a thing about faith, nothing. He's just like, hey, right? Let's chat. But Jesus is actually in the midst, in the deep, deep end of sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. He's about to express to Zacchaeus what it means to live a saved life. Not live a life and hoping that one day I'll be saved from hell, but how to live a current, right now, saved life without darkness and without death and without hate and without exclusion and alienation. That's that. Jesus, you see, kind of going there. He's, he's going there. Now, again, maybe Jesus approached Zach, right, as a long-lost friend, and, and jaws dropped everywhere, right? Jesus knows him, <laughs> right? I'm not sure if Jesus' stock took a little dip there or not. But then on the other side of the coin, old Zach knows Jesus? How does Zach know Jesus? And I don't know if you notice something that Jesus has done, and this is something before Zach has done a thing. Zach has done nothing yet. But Jesus is incredibly popular with the crowds. He's incredibly popular with the people. And what has he just now done to Zach? He's, he's now like, you know, you remember back in school and you're the loner and the really popular kid suddenly decides they wanna be your friend and you're like, I'm gonna be popular now because it's going to rub off on me, right? He's going to bring me into circles that I couldn't get into on my own. And Jesus literally does this to Zach, right? Zach now, the whole crowd has given Zach a second look. He knows Jesus. Jesus knows him. Maybe we've made, let's, right? And yet nobody actually joins Jesus in the gracious welcome because crowd mentality takes over. Right. This happens all the time. The, the religious figures are in the crowd and everyone's looking around going, well, I'm not going to say something stupid like Jesus just said. I'm going to go with the. Yeah, he's a sinner right there. All the people saw this and they begin to mutter. Right. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Right. That crowd mentality takes over and they just kind of. Yep. 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 Even though every person in the crowd is probably equal or greater of a sinner, they just, you know, all these religious people stand around. Yep. You're right. Oh, amen. man, he's Burn them. Burn them at the stake. Hopefully, nobody knows what I'm doing. Now, keep in mind that this culturally. This is more than just a lunch, right? Sharing a meal in that culture implied mutual acceptance, and we fight this idea even today, right? When we somebody wants to do something nice to somebody who has a lifestyle that they don't agree with, the the, the automatic assumption everywhere is, oh, they must be buddies. They must agree on everything. They There must be total acceptance of lifestyle and all that because they're having lunch together, right? And we still make that mistake. The religious figures of the day made that same mistake. They believed that they were to separate themselves from sinners, never be around them. They stuck to their own kind, their own moral circle. Everyone that believed what's right and wrong, just like they did. Nobody argued. They hung around people most like them. But Jesus sees somebody... Others don't want to see. Right? That's what Jesus does. He notices, He initiates, he goes, He sees. right And Jesus, by his action, is announcing to this crowd, "I accept Zacchaeus. I accept him, this notorious sinner, this dishonest tax collector, as is. I, I see you. I know what you're thinking. And yes, go right ahead, because I do accept him. I love him just as he is jesus's love for outsiders caused him to notice right those that other people had overlooked and he arranges his plans he arranges everything his day his schedule his priorities to make space for somebody like zacchaeus and here's what happened as a result zacchaeus stood up because the crowd they weren't buying it like this is too good to be true this guy's too mean for too long but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, just so that you're aware of the legalities involved here, in Mosaic law, this he went way, way, way overboard. In Mosaic law, if a thief voluntarily confesses, all he's got to do is return what he took and then pay a fifth, right, 20% penalty. And then give an offering to God, boom, he's off the hook. So rather than paying only, kind of hang with the math with me, and I hope my math is correct on this, rather than only paying 20 cents on each dollar swindled as a penalty, which is what the Mosaic Law required, Zach offers to pay $4 on every dollar swindled. Way over and above. And then listen to this, if he's caught, if a criminal is caught with the goods, which Zach wasn't, right, he's offering them, Right? The police didn't have to come bust his door down and say, hey, we caught you, you dirty thief. One only had to repay double. And this is what this—it it struck me this morning. I, the whole week didn't strike, strike me. So the penalty, if you're caught, is to give half of what you stole. Right? But Zach says, you know what? No, I, I stole you know, 100 bucks from you. I'll tell you what, I'm going to go into my bank account and give you half of my bank account. I'm going to give that to the poor, not just half of what I took from you, but half of what I have, My mine. I, I mean, he go way, way overboard, way overboard. He didn't quibble over the terms of the law. He offered the highest price because his heart had been changed. In effect, simply by being his friend, Jesus had saved Zach's life, transformed it, changed it entirely. And I don't know, again, if you notice this, but Jesus helps him find a home just by being his friend. Remember, we, you know, just by hanging out with him, rubbing popularity rubs off on him just a little bit. You can imagine what happened in the neighborhood. Just, just kind of let your mind go for a moment. The change of heart on the parts of all the folks that he had cheated, all the folks that he knew, that his mom and dad knew. And mom and dad were ashamed that this was our son. All, all, that whole circle of friends, can you imagine the change? My guess is he started getting invitations again right? to the Like, ah, uh, this guy is going to get invited because, like, he's probably going to give me a car, right? He gets invited to everything because everybody now knows his heart. He has been transformed. He's just a lover of people now. He had been alienated from his home, and Christ gave him his home back, right? He gave him his neighbors back, his neighborhood. He was a whole person again, And again, Jesus, he hadn't gone to Zacchaeus' house to, do, to condemn him, right? He went there to change him. Zacchaeus, just to make sure, right, he didn't experience salvation because he did something good. He experienced salvation because he trusted in Jesus, the Messiah. That's what it means to be a son or daughter of Abraham, Right? To accept Jesus as the Son of God, as Lord and Savior. Listen to this. Jesus says basically the same. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. You're back in the family. You're you're one of us again. You're no longer an outcast. We're not going to treat you like that anymore. Zacchaeus is forever changed because Jesus looked up and he noticed. And was willing to make space in his life for others that people had learned not to see purposely. Again, I want to make that point. It's not like an accident. We, we need to be honest with ourselves. Right? We purposely, we learn to not notice people. Again, there's no, no shortage of Zachs in the world. They're all around us. And I, and, I, and I recognize this. I've shared with you last week. Um, we I interview, whenever we help somebody, I have them come in and and I interview them. I want to look them in the eye and I'm giving away your hard-earned tithes and offerings and I don't want to waste that or take that flippantly. So I I look them in the eye and ask them a lot of questions. And you need to know, there... They're asking for money, not always, but more often than not, they've made some really bad choices in their lives, and they continue to do it. And I see that. And so what am I supposed to do? Nope. (sighs) Sorry. Get yourself cleaned up, then come on back. We'll talk. Can't do that. Bad choices, cheating people, offending but they are thinking about their life legacy. They, they, they're kids. They don't want to waste their life. And they are willing to check out Jesus, right? If somebody is willing to talk to them about Jesus. They may be curious enough to show some interest. When you notice them, take the initiative to start a conversation, right? Offer to spend some time with them, a kind deed, genuinely care about people. Sometimes your role is simply to help people be at the right place at the right time when Jesus is coming by. That, that, was, that was your role, right? You didn't need to share your faith and evangelize. You just, you're sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, that wholeness is available right now. It's not a matter of accepting Christ as our Savior and finally getting wholeness when we die simply a waiting game. That's not biblical at all. Christ came to give us life now, now. So I take the risk to do all these things because it is risky in our day and age to, to, to help somebody, right? Scam, scam, scam. We are all scared to death of being scammed. My guess is this is not a 21st century phenomenon. My guess is Jesus knew there were scammers. There were scammers in Jerusalem, I would put my bottom dollar. Scammers have always been around. So, again, we can't, well, you know, today they're scammers. No, that's, that's, that doesn't hold water. Why do we risk doing all these things? Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, and that's what we're called to do. That's what he did, and that's what he calls us to do. That's what he equipped us, gifted us, commissioned us. To do. He came to serve. came to save. Again, it all starts with just simply noticing. Right? Looked up. Noticed a man. Society had decided to overlook. Imagine what would happen if we would begin to pay attention. To look into the eyes of the people. To, again, in our culture, not simply to look into the eyes of the people around us. Because they're not around us. Right? We're living in suburbia. I think the case is when we get out into public right is do we consider a shopping trip a mission trip you ever thought about that right your shopping trip your daily walk those are all mission trips those are god-ordained times where you're out and you're available you've made yourself available what if we were to expand our moral circles enough to make room for people who don't think like us who don't believe like we do and if we want to walk in the way of Jesus, we've got to get comfortable noticing and making space in our lives for people who live and believe differently than we do, and it, it can be an adventure. If you look at it that way, don't make it don't make it a you know close the deal day. Let's, uh, let's go out and share good news today. That's it. Bow your heads, Father. Thank you for the story of Zacchaeus. A wee little man that you changed entirely. So Father, all all it took is for somebody to notice. Um, Father, give us a heart to notice. Give us a heart to remove the blinders that we put on every morning just to take them off and and to to begin to see what you see and to make a concerted effort to see and feel what you see and feel. Father, again, risky business, risky, risky business. So Father, we, we look for the protection of your Holy Spirit. In many ways, we are sheep being sent out in the midst of wolves. But Father, protect us with your Holy Spirit. Protect, guard our hearts against the win mentality and replace it with, with just a love mentality. Sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, light instead of darkness, that's it. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And by the power of your Holy Spirit and your son's name we pray, Amen.